not only does it drive feature and product implementation into the future, but it also drives the adoption and usage of those best practices in those systems. So it really is fundamental to the future, the growth of a company, its success, its availability, and its adoption, and its adoption, and its adoption. 90% of the marketing automation discussion. All right, so uh, today is another installment of a mastermind discussion where we choose a relevant topic or pain point brought up in our private Slack channel. And uh, a few of us get online to record our suggestions, our answers, our input, and hopefully come up with some really valuable content for the audience. So today's topic is uh, democratizing productivity uh, in your app, in your SaaS product, using coaching networks and productized best practices. Um, so what does that really mean? Um, well, it, it means a few things, but it means creating coaching networks within your user base. So forums, marketplaces, ways for your users to feedback in best practices and some UI. Um, it means looking at your best users, the users not, not just uh, who have been around the longest, but those users that are using your product uh, in the best, most interesting ways, and then rolling all of that back up into your product in the form of enhancements, not just features, not just, you know, adding a widget or adding a, a tool, but really adding that entire use case back into your product in some form or fashion to allow other users to take advantage of those best practices. So that's what we're discussing today. Uh, with me, I have Zach and Matt. Everyone knows me. I'm the founder of Automated.af for everyone who's listening to this. Um, but Zach, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Zachary Shankler. I am the co-founder and CTO of Colonis, which I recently uh, exited from. Um, and right now I'm doing some overall business consulting with uh, several strategic partners. All right. And Matt? Uh, I am the founder and CEO of GetChipBot.com. Um, we help provide automated customer support and user-driven feedback right back to our customers. Awesome. Awesome, guys. Well, welcome. And um, I invited specifically Zach here uh, because Zach and I worked together a long time ago. And Zach has uh, uh, an amazing brain on his shoulders and he's been involved in just about every aspect of different builds and all sorts of uh, projects. And he's, he's got some really interesting stuff that we're going to go over. And Matt, of course, get you bought uh, the stuff that you guys are doing there and the way you built your product, uh, highly relevant in the stuff that uh, we're going to talk about today. So um, I'm very thankful and happy to uh, discuss this with both of you. This is going to be great. Um, now, who is this discussion for? Who should be listening? Um, everybody should be listening. That's in the tech space, but um, it's probably most relevant to SaaS founders with multiple users who are experiencing a lot of success with the application. So you do have that requirement of having a user base that is successful, um, and uh, you know have have a few of those satisfied customers. So SaaS founders with satisfied customers uh, would be perfect listeners for this. Um, now. Let's first propose the question to get this topic started. Um, so can we and should we um, reincorporate the best practices, the learnings from our users back into our software? Let's just start there. Is, is this a good practice? And who wants to start? 
Uh, I'll start. Sure. Okay, um, short answer is yes. Um, oftentimes, you're going to come up with an idea, um, but that idea and the value that you think is based on your perspective. Uh, getting your sort of top five, top 10 most product user, uh, uh, productive users are, is going to help drive you and say, hmm, what's making them tick? Why are they using it a lot? Uh, it makes you ask like a different question. It's like, what, um, what are, are they actually solving a pain point? If so, let's, let's talk about that. Let's see, let's see how they're hacking our product to, um, to fit their best needs that provide value. And then capturing that and bring it back to the other, you know, uh, other users who aren't aware of it that can go back into marketing, right? It could be back into figuring out what signal, what's noise. Um, what triggers your users to eventually buy your product? Because maybe they just didn't understand a certain problem that um, that they understood. Um, what are your thoughts, Zach? I completely agree, Matt. Um, you know, it's very interesting because the core of the user feedback loop in any product, SaaS or non-SaaS, is one of the most important aspects to the growth of that particular product. Not only does it drive feature and product implementation into the future, but it also drives the adoption and usage of those best practices in those systems. So it really is fundamental to the future, the growth of a company, its success, its availability, and its adoption. Completely agree. I agree as well. So I think we're all in agreement that, yes, it's, uh, it's a necessity for product growth, A, so that's gathering the data, the user data, making sure that you're taking action on that data. So it's a, it's a, it's a product uh, necessity to capture and use that data. Now, if we can uh, snowball that into the um, p potential issues that you could um, foresee by asking your users to publicly um, take their best practice, how you use our product. And this is more on the creative side of things. Um, and a very good analogy for this is, um, or sorry, a very good uh, specific use case of this is, is in um, marketing automation, obviously. Um, when you take a flow that you've built in Zapier or Blender, or one of these flow builders, and um, Blender, Zapier, then take the flow that you've built and turn it into a product. And uh, I think the Integromats of the world and the Phantom Busters of the world do this really well. Um, Zapier starting to do it better and better, um, but it's now turning it into, okay, well, will our best users and those people that have created really interesting use cases for our product be okay with reinterpreting that back into the product for potential uh, competitors of theirs to use and have the ability to take advantage of? So what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Matt? Um, well, not every company is going to even have the opportunity to have that data even publicly, right? Uh, it just so happens my product, it, it does have a mechanism to make everything public, but uh, that's, that's really an edge case. A lot of companies are sort of ingesting it themselves, mm -hmm. keeping it within the silo, and then figuring out what to do out, outbound. Um, it, I think it's very difficult for companies to put in the public because, uh, again, your data is actually valuable. Mm. Um, so that actually, you don't, it's almost like a trade secret. It's like, oh, you can get this collection of data. It's giving you these insights. Why would I want to give that away? Um, but if you are a company who is able to um, 
maybe you're an maybe you're sort of like a, a hybrid model where you have your free product it's all open data yeah. um and other companies can take advantage of the data i think that helps validate the company's mission faster because you get to see not only real users use the data in the open um, whatever functionality it is or whatever the product is but you also see how your competitors hack you and that gives you faster direction on well where is the market heading it almost gives you like a almost a, like as an advantage to see like at a at a 10,000 feet above what are my users and what are my competitors doing at the same exact time but again it's it's not a it's not a common practice because uh, it, that data is is very valuable and if you're not if you're not really aware of what your where your vision is and you don't know where what to do with your data you're not going to keep it you're not going to have it open at all got it i i like a lot of the things you said there zach any anything to follow up with yeah, um, that was very insightful, Matt. Thank you. It's it's quite interesting. Let me draw a parallel from some of my own recent experience. So in building a social platform where e-commerce is enabled in that platform, we experienced a very interesting phenomenon during the very early adoption of users. What happened was users growth hacked that platform. And of course, we were collecting data and information, but those same users began activating their networks outside of Holanus to drive traffic to their own profiles, their own products that they were publishing. And a lot of these users started publishing products, which were actually interactive training sessions on how to use the functions and features within the platform to better implement network growth, e-commerce sales, et cetera. So it's interesting because these siloed applications are pretty much gathering data from an individual user and their interactions with that software but non-siloed applications that are oriented towards network growth really may have lost Zach there. Okay. I wasn't sure if I was the only one to experience that. Now we'll give him a sec and, you know, I'll trim this out, but, um, Let's go with until he comes back. Let's go with um, you know your interpretation of what this means, and I'll I'll caveat that with I think you know I think it's important to keep relating this back to uh, to the coaching network ex itself, right? So to productizing the actual coaching network, right? So you know companies do this in a number of different ways. Some companies will just put the forum up and say, hey, there's a feedback forum and you can possibly get your questions answered. And they do this more to kind of offload the customer success mm -hmm. job, but they don't productize it, right? And then other companies will say, okay, well, we're going to publish a bunch of use cases, but that's more of a marketing driven agenda to say, hey, we're going to publish a really good brand's use case. And that's just mainly saying that, hey, they use our product. And these are the results that they've gotten, but they don't connect the dots on how that company that uses their product actually gained those results. How did they use it? What was the actual build? What, what did it look like? How was it installed on their site? What was the messaging that they pushed during those interactions? What, uh, what connections did they have to the tool? Uh, what was the back end? How did that look? Right. They didn't really, you know, they don't really uh, go deep into that. They just say, hey, they used our product and here are the results or uh, the previous example. 
here's a forum on where you can go to ask other users questions. Maybe they'll answer, maybe not, but then there's an FAQs, um, uh, searchable FAQs database right below that. So I think it usually falls into those two, but how do we kind of look at this as a, a coaching network and how does that become a product? Right. Uh, I, well, one, I, I'm not quite sure if, if coaching is the right term. I think Zach really made a real, uh, a, hey guys. a good term, which is, hello. Hey, sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. We, uh, we just snowball back to, um, the premise of creating the coaching network. And, um, I mentioned the term coaching network based on that podcast that we all listened to. That was, uh, that was the founder of uh, superhuman that was talking about these coaching networks and um, what i mentioned to matt just now and he's about to answer is basically uh, what my interpretation and what i see happening is companies will either say okay well we're going to create a forum that offloads some of the burden of customer success that allows our users to ask other users for answers to their questions and users helping users type thing and maybe they do this in a facebook group Maybe they do this on their website in a forum setting. Um, and then if they can't get their answers, there's an FAQ section. And if you can't get your answers there, there's a chat, maybe a customer support phone call. So most SaaS companies will do that. Uh, and then on the marketing side, they wrap up use cases, main use cases of big brands that use your product in the form of, I'm sorry, case studies, not use cases. And then they push those out to non-users to try to convert them to users. And in those two realms, they're still missing the connection between, okay, well, how do the best people that use this product actually use the product with success? And that's not just saying, you know, we, we use it towards this audience, but we're, we're, we want to use it, uh, or sorry, we want to know and productize exactly how the setup looked, exactly what the messaging was, you know, were there any connections, were there any other tools involved? How do you kind of wrap all that up into a product? And Matt was about to mention his interpretation of that. Thank you. Back to you, Matt. Yeah. Uh, I, just to, the on Zach's point about like sort of like the growth hacking perspective, um, it's either you're going to have a strategy where you build virality into your product and you have the ability to growth hack or you don't, right? And the situations you mentioned where you have some companies that have, you know, they sort of, they sort of piecemeal together after the fact. Um, they're, they're not going to get the, the kind of value um, that maybe another company would have if they planned that or at least prepared for that right from the beginning. Um, creating, those brand, uh, creating those brand ambassador networks through your product where brand ambassadors can act as your customer support and that feedback loop as a company get to observe that. Think of it like you're, you're in Starbucks and you hear a really deeply passionate conversation. Um, maybe for you, it's a, something about automated marketing. You're going to listen into that. That's what a company gains when they have this feedback loop you're talking about. I'm not quite sure I would call it coaching because it's because from the user's end, end point and the businesses, no one's coaching anyone. Mm. It's more or less just, hey, here's how you can use this differently. And the, there's so much value you get out of it. And when the company's listening and saying, I agree, right? And they build a product next week to support that conversation. You just not only reinforce the existing brand ambassador, but you just gained another one. And you have this force to be reckoned with. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And Zach, uh, before you got cut off there, 
you had a couple things to say about uh, Holonis's use case and what that taught you. I believe. Yeah. So in building Holonis, um, we really experienced this interesting phenomena because there's so many different ways to utilize the functionality early adopted users who experienced success in using that functionality would actually promote themselves into the network as well as their own networks on other platforms on how to use the functionality, thus promoting the brand. Um, Some of them even created products offering their services at, let's say, an hourly rate um, to train other users how to utilize that, that functionality. So it really became this phenomena where the brand was not necessarily in the middle. It was user-to-user, peer-to-peer communication, recognition, uh, a recommendation, as well as growth hacking in a system that had a lot of flexibility. You know, depending on the, on, the, on the platform's model, whether it's SaaS or not, uh, really, I think, dictates some of that, but it's an extraordinarily powerful mechanism. Mm-hmm. And uh, just to m- wrap it up into a couple key scenarios. I mean, I think the biggest one that anyone who has used HubSpot has witnessed is HubSpot productized uh, from the very beginning. They productized COS, right? The ability to uh, code up these HubSpot landing pages and the customization of a code, a framework that really kept them on a different level in terms of how they were able to monetize and productize their coaching network, right? So what they did is they essentially put it back out there to say, you know, anyone that wants to have access to new builds of HubSpot, well, we have this COS code, you can learn it, it's not difficult, but um, that is going to be the framework. And anybody that uses HubSpot landing pages and integrations there, they'll have to use someone from this network or learn it themselves. Uh, if they want to customize those. And uh, what that created was a whole alternative revenue stream, but also a really, you know, sticky factor to HubSpot, where if you did go down this route and you wanted to use HubSpot fully, you would have to access that coaching network. Um, It was good in the sense that you got a lot of best practices because those coaches were helping other businesses, those developers, the COS developers, they were helping other businesses build out their systems Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's definitely not an easy thing and it's definitely takes you down a different route as a product, you know, going away from, uh, whether it's, uh, in that specific example, going away from open source and going away from ease of use to making it a whole revenue generation. So I wouldn't highlight that as a, uh, recommended example or a positive example, but I would, I would highlight that as a very big example of this in practice. And then another smaller, more lightweight example is uh, I think landing page builders like Unbounce, um, lead pages, they'll take brands, uh, landing pages that they've built in Unbounce. And as long as they have their, uh, uh, their uh, sign off, they put them back out to the marketplace so I can go and grab certain brands, um, landing page templates that they've built and they've used with success. Uh, so that's another lightweight example, but, um, I'll put that back out there just to make sure everyone's on the same page of how this works in practice. And I think Matt really important. And this is also, again, why I wanted you on is because you thought about this from the gate with Chipbot 
and how you guys built Chipbot and taking all of the learnings, all of the best practices, all of the data involved in all of the user interactions and putting that into the product as the central component of the product. Uh, maybe you can touch on just real quickly how that works and that helps people understand what we're talking about. Um, well, you mentioned, let me ask for clarification. You mentioned a couple of things, either the open source tool and being able to use it and then being able to actually work on, um, work on your goals without knowing how to code after maybe installation. So what, what do you mean? Uh, what kind of clarification are you looking for? Oh, uh, well, it just helps people kind of paint a picture. So, you know, if, if I'm listening in on this episode and I'm saying, okay, well, you know, what does this really look like in practice? I'll show some examples, but I think, um, you know, I'll show the Zapier's, uh, Zapier's community examples of how those flows get built. by. Community. Oh, okay. So like the feedback loop flow. They're kind of, yeah, they're feedback. They're, they're the okay. close, close interpretations of what we're really discussing, which is that productized um, version of, of crowdsourced best practices. Gotcha. Right. And the HubSpot example, it is a, a slightly different example. It is an edge case because they they went the revenue driving they actually monetized that revenue stream of cos development and customization in the marketplace um which is a little bit different but what you did at chipbot i found was you know both really amazing but um also just perfect for this type of discussion but can you touch on just maybe how chipbot operates and then that will help mm -hmm. people understand what yeah no no that that's very clear so Chipbot operates in a way where instead of the business owner or the website operator uh, figuring out what your users want, um, it works the other way around where users can ask you questions directly. And as a business owner, you get notified with an email or some type of message saying, hey, here's what your users asked for. Similar to actually how live chat works. But the difference is the business owner can answer that and ship it right back into the product. So someone else can actually observe this sort of question and answer behavior, similar to like Quora or if you're technical stack overflow. Mm -hmm. um, and over time you build a repository of questions and answers of users all, all around the world using your product. And I think that is um, at least one approach to sort of get that meaningful data and it's sort of decentralized, right? You are not the one figuring out what your users want. Your users are telling you. And it's a different approach to at least how the marketplace is doing, which is like they're trying to use AI and machine learning to, to help anticipate what the users want. I think there's a much, I think there's a better place for AI and ML if you have the inputs coming from the mouths of users themselves. And then you can use AI and ML to sort of analyze that better, to give you better decision-making and put it back into the product. Yeah. And without going into too much detail, uh, Zach, I think you're, you know, you've got some really keen insight on this, but, um, but interpret what we're talking about here in as best of a way you can, um, how that could operate from an AI and an ML perspective and just saying, you know what, um, hypothetically, you do have this user data flowing in, um, you know, how can that, how can that look uh, from a, from an internal AI and ML driven uh, perspective. Sure. Um, it, it, it's an interesting analogy that you draw with HubSpot because I remember when Salesforce bought force.com, the Apex language, um, which is extraordinarily complex, was something that they tried to monetize as well, much like HubSpot. 
um, uh, not to dwell on it too long, but there's a danger to that, right? Because you can lock yourselves into a particular vendor language rather than, you know, being able to spread across the ecosystem. Uh, so it, it's very interesting, but that, that could be a whole other conversation. You know, AI and ML, artificial intelligence, machine learning, these are terms which are really thrown about very easily, but it's very difficult to understand how they can be applied. Generally, um, there are some great tools out there. I mean, Google Cloud has become very advanced recently. Um, they are probably the preeminent leaders in having those you know, cloud-based technologies available to any application. It's really how you envision the dimensions of the data that you're collecting. You have to think about a strategy for AI and ML. You can just randomly collect data and try and infer patterns from that data, um, and that's one way to tackle it. But implementing it in a very specific manner and stacking the information that you're looking for and learning from that information and providing a pathway for users to access the ability to provide that information as well. I'll give you an example. You know, in the, uh, in the UX world, when you're planning a particular product feature or even planning out a whole new platform, you really think about the customer journey or the user journey. How are they accessing your product, signing up to your product, thus using the product, providing feedback to the product? It's a very important aspect during even that UX phase and planning product features and getting user feedback to begin applying AI and ML within those flows. Um, and again, it's not like you can see the future and know exactly what you need to implement out of the gate. But being able to experiment and being able to be flexible with these technologies and insert them in various instances within the user journey is eventually and invariably going to supply a level of feedback and insight that becomes very powerful. I would like to add one note um, with the two different approaches of sort of implementing AI. If you're a startup and you're not funded or at least have significant uh, resources to handle um, the, the challenges of AI, oftentimes you have to resort to the next best alternative, which is you do have to collect data, everything, and just sort of not really focus on what to do with it yet. And then when you do have the resources, you can retroactively look at it and apply an AI ML strategy when you do either raise money or have the time to um, spend that effort uh, into those technologies and build like a learning model. Because um, not every company has the luxury to say, let's, let's spend... Um, four to six weeks on a discovery phase on hmm, how, where are the models are going to look like? What's the, what's the convolutions? Where are the false, um, um, the false positives? I, I think it's a very challenging aspect, at least for startups. Uh, yeah. I think you touched on something super important. So we're, we're talking to a group of people that have, have a pre-built product. They, they don't have the capacity and the bandwidth and finances to go back through and add that data capture layer and analysis to feed that programmatically back into the system. Um, what would we suggest more than anything to say, okay, well, if you do not have that, how can you create these democratized productivity layers within your tool and within your ecosystem? Uh, I called it coaching networks, but that's up for debate. But um, these productized best practices, Right. Without the machine learning layer, uh, how can we kind of uh, get that back into a system? 
Um, so, I mean, I think I, I mentioned a couple key steps and, and some ways that our founders and our audience out there can do more than what is typical. And what, what is typical is maybe an FAQs page, maybe an help, uh, a help center powered by Intercom or what have you. Um, using Chipbot is a great verse, uh, first step to add that layer of just automating the actual chat experience and making sure that they're getting those FAQs that could be crowdsourced, but getting those, those questions answered, that's a great um, next step. I think, you know, I think it's important to capture and list out those users that are experiencing really solid benefits of your product and using it in creative, interesting ways. So creating that list of who those people are and making sure you are monitoring, you're keeping in touch with those people, you're creating that really, really uh, good feedback system between you and those users. Uh, but the step above that is putting it back on those users to say, hey, you know, we see you're using the product like this. We'd love to share that with the community. We'd love to put that into our system and our product in some way, shape or form. Would you be open to a community, a forum, a coaching network, if you will, um, and being accessible or at least making that use case accessible to our other users? Um, and whether you ask them or you don't, uh, that's that's, again, up for debate. But what would you say are some key next steps to getting this kind of put into practice if you don't have the bandwidth to go back and add a machine learning layer to your product. Well, I, I think you already touched on it a little bit is um, it's using tools that are currently accessible to them right now. So mm -hmm. for example, you're collecting newsletters. Um, well, you can also track over time what that particular user does. I'll give you a really good example. Medium tracks you. If you're not, if you're not a user on Medium, they track you over time to see how many articles you read. And they slowly over time build up a case. I think one of the interstitial modals is, hey, let's tie the knot. You've read 16 articles and you spend this much time reading it, sign up. Mm -hmm. And once they capture that information, they can figure out what the next step is. And they, they it's very simple. It's, 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 it's a little, I, I don't know if there's actual, uh, at least I'm not aware of any tools that you could use to say like, here's some simple tracking. I, I'm sure they exist, but yeah. you can take that and tap into your MailChimp mailing list and like, okay, this user was an anonymous email. Let's move on to the next list of uh, anonymous email who've, who's read over 10 articles. And then you can then give a different message to them and ask for direct feedback through emails. Uh, that I could see that as a easily being a, a good next step for marketers or uh, business owners to sort of leverage um, behavior and then try to get make a feedback loop out of it. Okay. So that's event driven, you know, event analysis layer. You know, there's many tools out there that are accessible and most of our users have, have some level of event attribution going on. Um, tying that back into the products so of gamifying the experience. Um, and, uh, you know, if we can kind of go a step above that and saying, okay, well, you know, if, if your app is usable in a process, you know, like a marketing automation is the best example that I can think of, obviously it relates to my business, but you know, you can extrapolate this into whatever the product that you use or that you're, um, you're, you're considering, but you know, if, if your users are using this in a specific way for a specific flow and maybe even incorporating other tools and other products 
and you find out about that, whether it's through a customer success conversation or through an email that they send in saying, hey, I love it. I just used it to do this. It works great, blah, blah, blah. You know, making sure that that feedback system is productized the best way I can think of. And Zach, I'll put it back to you to kind of wrap us up here. But, um, you know, creating that that forum, but also, you know, making it a part of the product, um, you know, and, and, and the landing page example that I mentioned earlier, where the landing page builders are taking the landing pages that are being used by certain companies, rolling those back into the marketplace saying, hey, this company used it. These, this was the success here. Grab it, like actually click on it and put that into practice in your company today. That's the easiest. Um, but, uh, you know, our goal, I think, is to mention what this is and really get the wheels turning for the audience and get them thinking about it so that they can then decide how it works in their business. But I think we touched on a number of examples, but Zach, I'm sure you've got some things to say. So what would you say uh, to the founders that want to start maybe implementing some of the stuff that we just talked about and getting more than just an FAQs page um, and a help center on in, in their product? Well, first, I mean, it, it's difficult for, you know, bootstrap founders to really, especially if you have a, a lack of resources and are just starting out, and it, it's difficult for bootstrap founders to implement everything that they need for these feedback loops. Obviously, you have to evolve into that. But I think that coming right out of the gate in today's day and world, it's mandatory to build these experiences into your product to ensure that you have a chance at success, right? Um, it, 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 and, and, and Matt had a very great example how Medium presents that interstitial at a certain number of articles. You know, there's product experiences, and Amazon's a perfect example, but you also have Recruitment and others. There's product examples where they know and can track you know, what type of products, where it was bought, um, what type of interaction you had with the company that shipped you that product, what your experience was like, and begin recommending, rewarding, gamifying, offering those experiences at very specific points. That same e-commerce event-driven methodology can be applied to almost any other system. And you can start off with one simple interstitial. You know, um, or maybe start off with five simple interstitials. So I think there's some very powerful mechanisms that can be put in place by realizing that they're available to you and that there's there's a starting point and there's a way to begin collecting that data. And I also want to comment earlier, um, I think I was cut off before, uh, but Matt made another very, very interesting point. You know, with the availability of AI and ML out there today, it is very important to begin collecting data, whatever it is, right? Even if you just implemented some, some rudimentary Google Analytics uh, integration, you know, pass that back. Everything that you get, pass that back, collect it, because the historical nature um, really begins to prove and infer those inflection points that allow productization to happen within an application. Um, I'll wrap it up like this. So um, <clears throat> I think... You know, I think we have a few things here and I would love somebody listening to let me know if they do this now or if uh, they know someone who does this. But um, applying the event analytics, applying the gamification, the feedback loop experience 
with diverting people into the specific groups that uh, of other users that use the product in their vertical, in their industry, and creating those maybe mini coaching networks within your app. So, you know, so instead of just saying uh, maybe in the onboarding process, um, go here, set this up like this, and oh, here's some here's some copy that we we recommend, right? Some placeholder text, and that's based on you know, their, their data internally of what other users are doing more than that and saying, okay, as you use the, uh, use the product and as you go through building out, out the product in different use cases, once you trigger certain events and once the system, and maybe it's CRM based plus event analytics, but once the system knows that you're in this vertical and you're starting to use it for this purpose, maybe the system alerts you that there is a coaching network of other businesses that use Chipbot, right? For that specific vertical. And hey, here's a link into that chat group or that forum or that specific coaching network, wherever it exists. And, um, you know, let them know that, hey, there's some help there for you. That could be a really low level kind of way of, of putting this into practice. Um, and then on the product side, going and taking the very, very best use cases out of those coaching networks and putting those into practice as uh, plug and play builds, right? So, you know, as the founder, you'd have to make this decision, but imagine you could choose to have almost like a one-click setup of your app for a specific industry based on a specific use case of someone else in that industry. Um, so there's pros and cons to doing stuff like that, but I would love to hear from anyone that knows of a specific use case, or if you, Matt, or you, Zach, know of anything specifically around that context that's going on now, you know, feel free to mention it. I'll link to it in the notes and uh, we can give people some really good actionable advice on, on maybe how to implement this. Sound good guys. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. All right. Any last comments? Um, no, I mean, th thanks for having, um, having me on uh, pleasure to really talk about this. Uh, at least for your audience, um, feel free to just mention me uh, either on most either on LinkedIn or through the Slack channel. Any particular questions? Um, would love not only to hear the follow-up comments that you mentioned, Alex, but mm -hmm. I want to hear what marketers are thinking or what other business owners are thinking of of how they're what they're doing with data. I think a lot of people don't have the resource to talk with someone technical um, at this kind of level, and I think we can create a really good conversation on. Um, what are the next steps based on my situation? Yeah. Yeah. So call to action for anybody. Just leave a comment in the notes, call Matt out. We'll link to his profile and obviously you can tag him in a comment uh, if you want to ask Matt specifically and um, give us your feedback. And then Zach, any, any last words there? Sure. First of all, thank you for inviting me. Uh, it was a pleasure. Matt, it was great meeting you and chatting with you. I'm sure we'll have many more chats in the future. Likewise. <laughs> yeah, I think this warrants a follow-up discussion. So yeah, let's gather some comments. Let's gather some feedback. We'll see what the crowd thinks. If everybody likes it, they want us back for another one. We'll come up with a follow-up to this and uh, we'll do it again. So thanks a lot, guys. This has been great. Cool. Thank you. Take care, guys. Yeah. 90% of the conversational market. I think I'm joking. The marketing automation discussion.